You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me, Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Kyla. Nice to see you, and uh, glad that we're recording the podcast. We're doing it a little early this week. I know. I'm not half asleep while we're recording for a change. It's midday. <laughs> midday recording. Um, that's rare. Anyway, um, there's been very little driving-related news this last week, mostly because we've had the World Health Organization making declarations about monkeypox, now the US government declaring a state of emergency over monkeypox. We have um, uh, ERs continuing to be shut down because of a lack of doctors not related to monkeypox. And as usual, half the province is on fire again. Yeah, and I managed to poke myself in the eye with a stick, and I had to go to... Uh, <laughs> These are all the same levels of crises. <laughs> to, uh, ...to a doctor, and I realized, you know what? Uh, there's really no doctor I can go to. Somebody was advertising on a billboard looking for a family doctor, and now the government is embarrassed by it, and John Horgan made a joke about it, and now he's being uh, railed against for making a joke. It was actually and, an ad in the Times Colonist, and I know the person who took I'm sorry, ad in the Times Colonist, yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, one has to think that it's, uh, you know, potentially politically motivated too, but um, it is a completely legitimate issue. My doctor moved away from um, my neighborhood and I've kept him as a family doctor, but now it's basically just a phone call. And what do you do when you poke yourself in the eye with a stick and you have to go to the doctor? I ended up going to uh, an optometrist in a mall, which probably was the right thing to do in the end because he knew what to do. There you go. But... In any event. The answer is in the mall. Let's go to the mall. Not much going on in the mall. There's not much going on in the malls these days. I went to a mall on the long weekend and I was bored. Not much going on in the mall. No. I should have got a Jabba dog. (laughs) Anyway, um, but there is one driving related issue that's come up, which is part of these climate protests. Oh, my goodness. So you know very little so, about this. So no new legislation because the you know the Legislative Assembly is not sitting and no fantastic new decisions coming out. But somebody has decided. Somebody has decided. This is actually a global movement called Tire Deflators. It started in the UK. And it's a group of vigilante climate justice warriors um, who go around and deflate the tires of SUVs and pickup trucks and gas-guzzling vehicles, large sedans. Um, so you and me are totally screwed. <laughs> yeah. I have a large sedan and you have many pickup trucks. <laughs> well, I have two pickup trucks. That's many. Um, and a mid-sized sedan. But they're not going to touch a Buick. No, but also your SUV. That's true. So we, so these people are, are deflating the tires in the night and then people are waking up in the morning, not knowing their tires are flat, not necessarily having sensors that tell them this and starting to drive. And of course that can cause all sorts of damage and danger. Well, it also uses more fuel. 
Yeah. So your car is much less efficient when your tires are deflated. Um, but uh, today I was driving behind somebody who had a tire mostly deflated, and yesterday as well, which is an unusual circumstance. Well, I drove um, around with a partly deflated tire earlier this week. Yeah, yours was not a somebody deflating tires, but um, it is. Um, it's a concern. But you know, at Christmas time, I bought you an air compressor mm-hmm. that you have in your trunk, mm-hmm. which works great. Mm-hmm. So you you you're prepared to fight back. Yeah. But what happens? I mean, what happens when this happens? I mean, that the, the the police are n- never going to investigate. So well, when my car it's was a criminal bro- offense. We should tell people that. Sure, but when my car was broken into a few weeks ago, the only reason the police came out was because I had the guy's bag he had had abandoned when I chased him down the alley. Which was probably a bag he stole from somebody anyway. Well, it was filled with drug paraphernalia and little stolen things like was there any charger good cables. Were they clean? Anyway, the <laughs> um, I'm sure he was looking for something to get some money to buy some more drugs. Uh, but the point is that the VPD don't usually investigate these things. Nope. And the only reason they came out that time was because A, I chased the guy and B, I had his bag. And C, you had drugs. So yeah, and so I probably had some had to turn drugs or contraband or something yeah. in that bag. I didn't want to touch the bag. The police officer put gloves on in order to do it. Um, the um, but we we don't see investigations for any of these things anymore. No, no, we don't. And if this were you know these tired of later people are already doing it on Vancouver Island. Um, uh, Oak Bay police, are, Oak Bay police, who have the time to investigate things are already investigating a series of incidents. But here in Vancouver, if this were to happen, you wouldn't even bother calling the police. You and I both had to call the Vancouver Police Non-Emergency number, me at like six o'clock in the morning on Saturday. And I waited on hold for like 47 minutes or something. Did you give up or did you get through? No, I got through after 47 minutes. Well, I was on hold for 51. Are you going to wait on hold for almost an hour of your life to be like somebody came in the middle of the night and deflated my tire? You can you can inflate your tire in less time than that. I re- somebody cut my uh, extension cord to my car when it was plugged in in winter in Edmonton, oh. and I thought, you know what, I'm going to report it because that maybe a bunch of people are having this same problem. I may not be the only person; it could be the whole neighborhood for all I know. So I went to report it. And as I walked out, I heard them, uh, the police complaining about me reporting it. Yeah. Ah, he's probably, I just like, so I walked out. And so I thought to myself, you know, how many times have I been the victim of crime in my life? Probably, uh, well, we're into the dozens of times. But um, this is one of those crimes where you would be embarrassed to report it. And Vancouver police don't have the resources to investigate right now the serious crimes that are happening. The multiple murders, the missing people, the stabbings, the shootings, the machete attacks, the pushings and the shovings. Like Every day there's a handful of violent crimes that we hear about and probably a heck of a lot more that we don't hear about that are taking up all of the police resources. So property crime? You're not going to get it investigated. Well, they just want you to do online reporting. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> if it's property crime involving damage, $10,000 or less, report online. Yeah. yeah. Here, here's a form online you can fill out that take leads to, your insurer. to absolutely nothing. Yeah, take to your insurer. Well, <laughs> well you-, you know, your tires probably, you know, might be insured in those circumstances, but... Um, 
that's a, another issue again, which is uh, inspecting your vehicle. One of the things that I find most people don't do is they don't inspect their vehicle before they drive. They just jump in and drive. Guilty. And, yeah. And um, I usually inspect my vehicle as I'm walking up to it. I'm inspecting where I'm going to be driving from this point and whether or not something looks like it's been altered. I don't but, look too closely because then I'm reminded that I need to take my car for a wash. And But it's it's not like inspecting an airplane prior to flight or something <laughs> like that, you know. There's, it probably should be. It probably should be. We should probably all be, you know, trained. And maybe I was trained in, in uh, driving school and probably yep. thought it was a joke. It's on the BC uh, driving uh, exam when you go to take your, like, in-car test you have to do a walk around of the vehicle and check that all the lights are working like the signal lights and stuff before you get in the car yeah well you don't do have to necessarily do that I mean, you can reasonably assume that your signal lights are working but you should probably inspect your vehicle to see if anything's been altered or anything is hanging off of it uh, bumper is unclipped or something like that or if there's any new damage but also check your tires uh, if there's a visible difference on it but most of the new luxury cars will alert you the moment you get in it yeah my f-150 will alert me the moment i get in it that there's a tire that's low it just won't tell me which tire so well and i have these like low profile tires so even when they're low can't i can't no. tell right no. so i rely on my sensors yeah, well, that's your problem no that's my car's problem oh, okay well <laughs> in any event so yeah i i mean this is something i hope it doesn't expand uh, if it does, we will not do anything about it in Vancouver. Uh, property crime, if you're in other parts of the country, you may not realize just how bad it's gotten in Vancouver. This is not a federal government thing. You don't, you can't go blame Trudeau for this one because it's the same in Seattle. What if it's and Trudeau deflating in, the tires? Well, it seems unlikely. Same thing in Seattle. Same thing in uh, San Francisco. San Francisco, they're now referring to... Uh, the broken glass on the street every morning from the cars uh, each day as snow in their San Francisco snow or something like that. I think the best part of this story, though, is the part I haven't told you yet. Which is? Which is the Oak Bay police have some information that's helping them to identify a suspect, including a description of the vehicle the suspect drove away in. Oh. What? You're like... I'm going to do this for the climate, so I'm going to guzzle gas. Well, maybe they're driving an electric car. <laughs> I doubt it. You never know. Anybody who's spent enough money on electric cars too busy working. It's a funny thing about, um, about the um, car vengeance thing in that way. Uh, you know, on the one hand, I, I'm not enthusiastic, or I, I guess I'm... Let me see. I, I look at Range Rovers... And I look at big Chevy Suburbans and I think to myself, why are you driving around with your whole living room there? It's almost always just one person driving around in that gigantic vehicle and using a ton of fuel. And the arrogance of that is upsetting. On the other hand, I worry that that it's some sort of jealousy. And it's not that I want a Range Rover, but that that is something that takes place in people's brains when they see a luxury car, that part of it is jealousy. And I, you know, my... Back in the day when my MGBs were broken into or vandalized, people would always say, oh, it's just somebody who's jealous. Well, mm, yeah, I don't know. The thing that bothers me about it is, you know, what these climate activist criminals um, are trying to do is get people to make a collective change 
in their consumption habits. But you are not going to spur collective change by targeting individuals in this way. Like, I'm sorry, but if you deflate my tires, I'm not going to drive less. Yeah, but you're it's assuming they're rational. You're assuming they're rational. But and they're not the rational thing. actors here, right? Why, why are these groups not going after the big polluters? Yesterday on TikTok, I saw a TikTok that was explaining, they, they keep track of this. There's like all these Twitter and TikTok accounts that keep track of this. The top 10 private jet users... Like well, that's one polluter. Trips. Concrete is the biggest polluter. Look, Taylor Swift took 177 private jet trips so far this year. That's more private jet trips than I've taken car trips. And that's like 8,000 tons of carbon emissions. She's very important. And stop hating on Taylor Swift. She's a musician, Paul. She's an icon of a generation. She's so important to all sorts she of these people. She can icon on a bicycle. I hear you. I'm not. I'm not defending Taylor Swift for that. What I am saying is that there's a. You know, we don't talk about concrete in Vancouver as a whole city built of concrete. We've got our concrete industry is like our biggest industry here because we have a construction based economy, and um, despite the fact that we produce wood, we don't make much out of steel. Um, which uh, is less, uh, less uh, takes less energy to make. Apparently, um, much of it's recycled. We don't, we don't dig a whole lot of new steel out of the ground these days. So we don't build buildings out of steel. We should be building more out of wood. I mean, I guess there's carbon invested in wood too because you got to go cut the trees down and so forth, and you're taking the trees out of the carbon cycle. But whatever. Um, the uh, my ultimate point that I want to get to. And I will get to one, trust me. <laughs> really? <laughs> is that these people are not rational actors, A. Right. Uh, and B, that the only way that we are going to deal with our climate emergency is through legislation. And it's going to have to be international agreements. And, and the international agreements are going to have to be enforced. And I don't see any capacity to do this as a species. And so I think we are fucked. Yes, we are fucked. But if these people wanted to try and actually do something that was legitimately might buy us one more day on this planet before we're gone in, you know, 120 years after 200,000 years of humanity, you know, push the government. <laughs> That's, don't, don't let air out of tires. That just means people are going to drive with low air in their tires till they get somewhere where they can reinflate their tires, which is going to add to their trip. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna hate, and they're gonna hate you, <laughs> and particularly in Oak Bay. So there you go. That's my theory on it. Now, what's next? What's next? Um, speaking of Vancouver police and the city of Vancouver finding the wrong way to tackle a driving and sidewalk problem. So, as anybody who lives in Vancouver knows, um, the during the pandemic the sort of situation on the downtown east side has exponentially escalated um, with a lot of people living on the streets in tents um, and essentially effectively a tent city that was set up that took over the entire sidewalks for like at least two blocks uh, like around Hastings six and Maine. blocks I think but the um, full sidewalks like no walking room 
Yes, and these we have had tent cities in parks, and they have tent cities in parks that have been evicted, and we've had tent city tents on the sidewalk for a while here and there in front of the Royal Bank, right at the corner of Hastings and Maine. Um, I don't, I'm amazed that the Royal Bank even operates there, but um, thank goodness that they do. Um, but the uh, it uh, it has gotten really bizarrely out of hand. Um, and the city is really struggling to deal with it because of attitude changes toward uh, people in these circumstances. So historically, the city would go in there when usually the fire department would say this is unsafe. Uh, and they'd send in the police and they'd basically round up, uh, push the people out and take all the stuff and throw it in the garbage. And now here we are in a situation where They've realized, okay, it's not fair to completely dispossess these people, take all of their possessions and throw it out. So now they're trying to find other ways to deal with it in the last few years. I mean, I don't know, taxpayers in the city of Vancouver are paying for storage of what most people would look at as mostly garbage um, because we don't want to dispossess people who already have next to nothing to start with. Well, you know, there were all sorts of proposals that were brought forward by community activists and smart people about how to deal with this this issue of there being no sidewalk space because obviously it posed an accessibility issue for people who hey, how is this driving law if you let me finish sorry it just dawned, dawned on me hey with driving law podcast was <laughs> it posed an accessibility issue for people in wheelchairs um or who had mobility devices and they had to start using the driving lanes to get around the tents and then we had pedestrians start to use the driving lanes on the street to get around the tents which was causing a problem wouldn't be long until we just had tents on the street drivers well this was what the city said the city said well if we don't do something about it this the tents are just going to expand and take over the street and a lot of people were saying yes The city is three lanes on either side on that part of Hastings. The city could shut down the curb lane on each side, block off space for people to have their tents, for people to do all of this, leaving the sidewalk open for pedestrians, cycles, people with mobility assistance devices, and to allow business access. So to create a tent lane? Yes, a tent lane, right in the middle of the road. Well, they created bike lanes everywhere. Exactly. Uh, they just took the lane away. Why not create a tent lane? I mean, you you scoff at the idea, but you're you're quite right when you say they created bike lanes everywhere. They catered to a certain type of wealthy vocal population to meet their not needs but desires for their safety. But when it comes to a population in this city that has less of a voice, that has less means and that is marginalized as a result of poverty and mental health issues and drug addiction and the myriad issues that affect people that find them living in tents in the downtown east side they don't do the same thing they gave to people who live in point gray and want to bike into downtown to go to work how many people who live in point gray were biking to downtown i will tell you that i used to drive down you used um, to bike into the office. Yeah, I, I don't live in Point Grey. I live in Kitsilano. But the uh, well, I used to, I used to On drop point- off my child and drive down King Ed, and there was a bike lane there. And in the four years I drove my children, 
and dropped off my kids and then drove into work. I only once saw a bike in the bike lane, um, a very expensive bike lane. And I often think that the bike lanes were just designed to be a tourist attraction, except there's a significant portion of the population using them, um, not just for recreation, but also for the purpose of transport. And it is no doubt that it is much safer in those circumstances. But again, this is still a roadway being used for active roadway users. Um, and so, I mean, I know you're just presenting it and you're not necessarily uh, advocating for it. No, I am um, advocating take the lane. Take the lane. Take the lane, the tent take lane. The lane. You're saying Create take the, the tent, tent lane. lane. Yeah, what, we're not doing literally anything else. Here's the problem. We encourage people to choose the lifestyle of having that community, the tent community. And it is a community. There's no doubt about it. But is it something that we want in a city? Um, I don't think so. And I think when we make it something available for people, we just create the option for them to do that. And there are enough people in there who just for whatever reason don't want to work, don't want incapable of work maybe, but they could have social housing somewhere, who just make that decision that they want to live in the anarchy of the tent city or the tent conglomerate. Um, for various reasons, some of some of it, you know, may be addictions issues, but they're not all, right? There's some people who just like by choice, for whatever reason, have decided to go but, down there. And if we made those... it, if we made it intolerable, like Abbotsford did when they, you know, sprayed pig shit nearby, um, then uh, fewer people would do it. I don't know if it worked with Abbotsford, right? But not. making it intolerable punishes the people who are not there by choice. Sure. Okay. That's well, inhumane and you know cruel. What? You know what? Give them a make them apply for a permit. Go down there. You're you're entitled <laughs> to have a you're entitled to have a tent. So in eighteen you months, have, you can have a tent on our tent lane, but you have to apply for a permit, and you've got to give us your expiry time, and then you're going to be evicted. You you were you were posing the same hurdles that are preventing people from accessing what little supportive housing there is. Well, there's actually quite a bit of supportive housing. I just don't know if there's if there's vacancies. available vacancies at this point. That's what I'm referring to. We have to. a huge number of of um, subsidized supported housing units. We have tons and tons of SROs in this town. Even under the BC Liberals, they bought eight uh, old hotels. Um, that was Rich Coleman did it. A huge pile of money, and all, they're all owned by the provincial government. BC Housing has been buying like crazy but of course we have this bc housing issue um which uh, is another topic but not really a topic for this podcast but. no in fact the only remaining topic for this podcast is our the ridiculous driver of the week the ridiculous driver of the week <laughs> And I don't know how this story escaped us, Paul. Why? So this is this is a Surrey driver who's just been sentenced, but we never even talked about him on the podcast when the incident happened. Yeah. So he was recently, in the middle of July, sentenced to jail time for a high-speed chase that caused flights to be diverted. Oh my goodness! Yes. How do you do that? Exactly. Or was that just their helicopter, the RCMP helicopter, flying over, it, messing things it up? It forced the diversion of a commercial airliner, um, apparently, because RCMP's Air One helicopter was following the SUV, which had mismatched license plates. It was later determined to be stolen, uh, 
Abbotsford police try and pull this guy over, but he's like, fuck no, I'm out of here, <laughs> speeds off from the Abbotsford police and causes this chase that goes through the whole, basically the whole Fraser Valley. And uh, the uh, SUV drove into oncoming traffic. It drove on the shoulder. It ran red lights all at excessive speeds. But are police cars chasing this guy? Is that the reason? Yeah, well, the police cars were in active pursuit. He could have pulled over. Well, yeah, he could have pulled over, but they also could have abandoned the pursuit to avoid the possibility of putting the public at risk. Well, they also had Air One following him the whole time. Yeah, that's too bad. (laughs) And so Air... The Air One is the helicopter that's flying around here in the lower mainland operated by the police. I never see Air One anymore. They uh, almost never show up. Well, I, I've seen them in files over the years. I've had files. I haven't had an followed. Air One file in at least seven years. Yeah, it's probably been that long for me, too. I don't know. It costs a lot of money, you know, $3,500 an hour to have a helicopter in the air. Did they add that up? How long was this chase? This was a long chase. Um, so it forced air traffic controllers at Abbotsford Airport to divert a Swoop Airlines flight. And uh, the chase was about an hour. <laughs> well, those those swoop passengers could get a class action lawsuit going, uh, but based on the swoop fare, they probably would only get eighteen dollars each or something. So an hour later, the SUV crashes into a police vehicle. Hmm. So I guess they probably blocked off, mm-hmm. and so he crashes into the police, and then he gets out and runs. Keeps going. And they eventually stick a dog on him. And, uh, yeah, four people ended up injured, including the man who was bitten by a dog. But now he's off to jail. How long did he get? Um, Two months. But he's That's been... That's it? Well, he's been in custody this whole time. Oh, has he? Okay. When so this happened when? in February. Okay. So he's getting credit for time served basically from February to July, which is... March, April, May, June, July. That's 10 months credit. So it's probably time. like an 18-month jail sentence or something. 12, one year. Yeah. You got a year in jail for that. Yeah, fair enough. That's putting everybody at risk. Worth it. And then smashing up into a police car. <laughs> Was it worth it? Living I don't know. Or you'd have to ask him. I mean, I don't think you could even ask him now. I think you'd have to ask him close to the end of the jail sentence. Living your grand theft auto dream. Are you kidding? He's close to the end of the jail sentence now. Well, he's he's got another two months to go. He's got uh, he got a year-long sentence, and uh, he gets um, statutory released after two-thirds. Yeah, he's already he's out. probably got a three- to five-year driving prohibition. He'll be out any Ten, day. probably. Yep. They actually don't say how long. But it was in Surrey? It was Surrey Provincial Court? Yep. Does it say Surrey. who represented him? No, it doesn't. Wouldn't have been us. Nope. Not on that one. No. It was also breaching probation and driving while disqualified. Sounds like a legal aid file. Oh, my goodness. Actually, you know what? I bet I know who it is. Not our, never been my client, but I bet I know who it is. It's I've... not the person you're thinking of. No? Oh, no, okay. I would have told you <laughs> if no, it was but not, that guy. Not one of our former clients. N- no, no, I don't know the name. Yeah. I think I know. Might know who it is anyway. Well, I could I could say the name because it's in the story. What's the name? James Christopher Jordan. No. Nope. See, I told you it wasn't yeah. who you're thinking of. Yeah. Maybe he was the one for the Jordan decision. No. <laughs> that guy was charged with murder. Okay, but he'd be out by now. All right. In a Jordan case. So that's our podcast. If you have any driving rela- it driving rela- 
aided driving related issues that have to do with the law, give us a call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. Everywhere I go, stop and say hello. 